0: be seated. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Joe. I'm the lead pastor at Spring Valley Community Church, and uh, it's uh, just good to have fun today and have breakfast. How did everybody enjoy breakfast today? All right. About half of you, the other half, you're like, ah, this is pretty average. Um, no, we just want to say that we're so glad that you are our guest this morning. I also want to, before I get into my message this morning, I want to say thank you to all of the awesome volunteers at Spring Valley Community Church to this morning. Thank you so much. Today we are starting a brand new teaching series called Homesick. Um, We're going to be looking at a letter that was written by one of Jesus' most well-known followers. Even if you're not a church person, uh, you've probably heard of Peter before. Uh, The book of 1 Peter is going to be our text. Uh, all the way up until the Christmas season. Uh, Peter wrote this letter uh, to churches in what we know today as Turkey. He wrote this about 30 years, give or take, uh, a couple years. He wrote it 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this morning, I only want to preach to you and share with you the first half of the first verse of 1 Peter And some of you are like, it's going to take us a while to get through 1 Peter. Um, But we'll go faster after this, I promise. Uh, We already have it all planned out. We will finish uh, by Christmas. Um, But I want to just read this statement to you that Peter starts this letter that he wrote to churches in modern-day Turkey. He says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's it, that's all we're going to talk about today, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So it's easy to gloss over a statement like that. Some of you are wondering, I don't know why I came, breakfast was good, but this guy's going to talk about half a verse for the next 30 minutes. I'm not sure this was a good choice. But Peter was an apostle of Jesus. You're like, great point, Joe. Where did you get that from? Uh, by identifying himself as an apostle, though, Peter is giving us his credentials to write a letter which contained both the promises of God and the commands of God. So Peter had this major responsibility to communicate to the church on behalf of Jesus Christ. Peter had been personally commissioned by Jesus Christ to share his message with the church. So this past Labor Day, my family had the opportunity to go to Hershey Park. How many of you have been to Hershey Park before? Just raise your hand. All right, I mean, Hershey Park is a great place. Now you need to know this about me. I don't normally love amusement parks. They're not really my scene, quote unquote. Um, Here's why I don't usually love amusement parks. The massive crowds, usually when you're at an amusement park, it's the day where it's 103 in the shade. And uh, the lines are super long. You're there for like 10 hours, and you ride three rides and convince yourself you had a great time. Um, And then here's here's just something that's true when you're freakishly tall. When you're six foot eight and, and husky, um, there aren't a lot of rides that are made for people with your build. So when I go to the amusement park, I've had this experience. You're waiting in line for like 20 minutes or 30 or an hour, and then you get to like the roller coaster, and you sit in the seat, and you're like, "Not gonna happen." And then someone's like the the, the nice person who's like running the ride. They're like trying to get that thing over your shoulders and the lap bar down and the seatbelt down. They're like, "Oh, we can make this bigger," and you're like, "I won't be able to walk." if I go on this roller coaster. Here's a true story, when I went to Hershey Park this past time, I actually hurt my hip and I was limping for a couple days. How did I hurt my hip? On a roller coaster. So being a very tall man and a very big guy, amusement parks usually aren't the place for me. However, I love Hershey Park. It's my favorite amusement park, hands down, no questions about it. They have a zoo, they have a water park, and of course they have Chocolate World. Chocolate World is, I think, I think there'll be a chocolate world in heaven. Like I, That doesn't say that in the Bible, but when you go into Chocolate World, you just walk around and you're just like, oh my goodness. Everything I've ever dreamed of is here. I mean, it's just a great place. One of my favorite rides at Hershey Park is the Kissing Tower, and, um, because I can fit in it. I don't know what you were thinking, but I like it because I can fit in it, all right? What's wrong with you people? Like, but I love the kissing tower, not only because I like to kiss in the kissing tower with my wife, but for those of you who've never been, you're like, what's the kissing tower? It's basically this huge circle container and you sit down and you face outward, and it goes up, and there's this just this circle that brings you up, and it rotates you very slowly. This is not a thrill ride. You don't get sick. You don't feel like why did I eat, you know, that that fried food before I went on this ride. It's not like that at all. But when you get up to the top of the kissing tower, and you're done kissing, you can see all of Hershey Park, and you can see pretty much the whole town of Hershey. And Hershey is an amazing place. Uh, to say that. Hershey Chocolates is a successful company would be an understatement. They do $7 billion in sales annually. Uh, Many of you have heard of Milton Hershey, the founder of Hershey's Chocolate. Uh, What you may not know about Milton Hershey was that he wasn't always one of the world's best candy makers. When Milton Hershey was 19 years old, he launched a candy company in Philadelphia after getting a loan from his Aunt Maddie and his mom, and the company failed miserably. A few years later, seven years later, Milton Hershey opened another chocolate company in New York City, and that company also failed. So Milton really got off to a really bad start. He actually failed in the printing business before he got into the candy business, and when he got into the candy business, he failed two more times. But at the age of 29, Milton Hershey returned to his family home in Lancaster. And here's what's strange about Milton Hershey. When he got to his home in Lancaster, A lot of his uncles wouldn't talk to him because he had wasted all their money. They had invested in his companies and it didn't work out. And so Milton really didn't have any more investors left except his Aunt Maddie. And so at the age of 29, with a loan from Aunt Maddie, who hadn't given up on him, he was able to purchase the necessary equipment and ingredients to begin the Lancaster Carmel Company. The Lancaster Carmel Company. He made his candy by day and peddled it in the evening with a push cart. That is a man committed to his craft, making caramels in the morning and walking around the streets with a cart, trying to make it by night. Years later, and this is in the late 1890s, Milton Hershey sold his caramel company for a million dollars. This was in 1890. And he used the capital to start Hershey Chocolate. Now, some of you are surely wondering, uh, Joe, what in the world does Milton Hershey and Peter have to do with one another? Not a lot, admittedly, except for the very simple fact that they both know what it feels like to experience failure and still have someone believe in them. They both know Peter and Milton both know what it feels like to experience failure and still have someone believe in them. Peter would not have always identified himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. There was a time in Peter's life where a more accurate description of Peter would have been Peter, the man who failed Jesus. When Peter met Jesus, his name was Simon, but Jesus gave him a new name. He called him Peter, which means rock. This name had spiritual significance for Peter, many of you know this, because Peter would become one of the foundational leaders of the church. And so for the better part of three years, Peter followed around Jesus Christ. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He had seen Jesus raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, turn water into wine, feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And did you know that Peter was actually the first person to identify Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God? The first person in the Bible to say that Jesus was the Son of God. Besides, there were some demons who actually beat him to the punch. But the first human being was Peter. But here's the thing about Peter. Have you ever heard of hand, foot, and mouth disease? Maybe you've had a kid who's gotten hand, foot, and mouth. It's kind of an uncomfortable disease. You get sores, and you get sick, and you get a... Like, Peter suffered not from hand, foot, and mouth, but from foot and mouth disease. Maybe you know someone or are someone who has foot and mouth disease. You're like, I don't know, am I? Well, you can just ask your friends. They'll tell you. I know there's been many moments in my life where I've had foot and mouth disease. Peter was notorious for telling Jesus he was wrong. He was wrong. That's never, like, a good thing to be known for. Hey, what are you known for? Oh, telling Jesus he was wrong. For example, shortly after Peter recognized Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be executed and then he was going to rise from the dead. And Peter took Jesus aside after he told his disciples, hey, guys, I'm going to get arrested and then I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again. Peter pulls Jesus aside and he says, Jesus, that's not going to happen. And then Jesus says to Peter, "Uh, I know I just called you the rock, but hey, Satan, can you get behind me? That's a funny story. Peter went from being called the rock to Satan in a matter of sentences. But the ultimate moment of foot and mouth for Peter was on the night before Jesus was crucified. Right before Jesus was arrested, he was with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And he told his disciples that all of them were going to desert him. Peter looked at his best friends, or Jesus looked at his best friends, and he says, all of you are going to fall away. All of you in my hour of greatest need are going to run away from me. And Peter's response was basically like, wrong again, Jesus. We pick up a story in Matthew 26. After Jesus tells Peter, you're all going to fall away, Peter responds in verse 33 of Matthew 26, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Okay, Peter. So what does Peter do here? He thinks he's going to be fine. Jesus just said you're all going to fall away and Peter's like, "No, I'm not." And then not only does he overestimate his ability, he also throws all the other disciples under the bus. They're like, "They may fall away, but even if all of them do, I'm never going to." Verse 34. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Some of you have heard the old proverb, pride goes before destruction. This was about to come true in Peter's life. Peter's pride had blinded him to his own vulnerability. Just hours later, After Peter had just looked Jesus in the eye and said, I'm never going to abandon you, Peter would eat his words. After Jesus was arrested, he was taken to the high priest to be questioned. The high priest was the highest religious official in Jesus' day. Peter was sitting around a fire with some others with an earshot as Jesus was being questioned by the high priest. So there was this place where Jesus was being questioned and then Peter was kind of like, in like this outer space where he could sit around and he could hear what's happening. And there's all these people, this is a trial that's happening late at night and there's all these people who are kind of interested about what's gonna happen to Jesus. And so as Peter is sitting around the campfire, Luke tells us this in Luke 22, verse 56, after Peter declared, I'm never gonna fall away. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, that's Peter. She looked closely at him and said, "'This man was with him,' but he denied it. "'Woman, I don't know him,' he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, "'You also are one of them. "'Man, I am not,' Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, "'Certainly this fellow was with him, "'for he is a Galilean.' Peter replied, "'Man, I don't know what you're talking about.' Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed the lord turned and looked straight at peter then peter remembered the word of the lord had spoke the word the lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today you will disown me 3 times and he went outside and wept bitterly one moment peter is bragging about his ability to stay faithful to Jesus under pressure, and the next moment, he melts like butter when a teenage girl asks him, do you know Jesus? I don't think we're going out on a limb here to assume that this was one of the darkest moments of Peter's life, when Jesus turned and looked at him. I never really noticed that in the story before, but Luke tells us that right after Peter denied him for the third time and the rooster was crowing, Jesus turned his head and looked directly at Peter. Jesus knew the moment it happened. Could you imagine what that must have been like for Peter? To have Jesus staring at you after you had just failed him? the man who befriended you, the man who called you, trained you, loved you, the man who you proclaimed was the Son of God, the man who was facing his own death is staring at you, knowing that in his hour of greatest need, you failed him. It's no wonder that Peter left the courtyard that night to weep and agonize over what he had done. Peter goes dark for the next few days, During Jesus' trial, crucifixion, and burial, Peter disappears from the gospel story. Have you ever noticed in your own life how failure has a way of driving us into hiding? We don't know where Peter went, but like all of us who have experienced profound failure, he isolated himself. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever felt the, the shame and the guilt of doing something you know you shouldn't have done? and then all of a sudden you feel unworthy of love, unworthy to be around people, and you think the best course of action is just to get alone because you want to wallow in your failure. Peter does the same thing. I imagine that those days after Jesus' death were especially hard for Peter. Even though Jesus had predicted his resurrection, I'm imagining that Peter was probably wondering if his last memory of Jesus was going to be that look he gave him and the sound of a rooster ringing in his ears. But that wasn't Peter's last moment with Jesus. Sometime after Jesus' resurrection, Peter and some of the other disciples decided to go fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had appeared to Peter and the disciples a couple times, But Peter and Jesus never really talked about that whole denial thing. Apparently, Jesus' disciples weren't very good fishermen because on this particular fishing trip, they had spent the whole night fishing and had caught nothing. Early the next morning, when they were still out on the water, Jesus showed up on the shore. And Jesus was standing on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and Peter and the other disciples were in the boat... And Jesus calls out to them from the shore, doesn't look like you've caught anything. Why don't you try the other side of the boat? Now, the disciples at this point in the story don't know it's Jesus. But for some reason, they do it anyway. Who's this strange man on the shore telling us how to do our job? That turned out to be a pro tip. They caught 153 fish just by moving their net to the other side. And when they pulled in so much fish, the light went on in Peter's mind. When Peter realized it was Jesus, he jumped off the boat and swam to shore. Like Jesus is, or Peter's like, we don't even need to get to the dock. I am going to jump in the water and swim because he was so excited to see Jesus. When the other disciples made it to the beach, Jesus built a fire. He took some of the fish that they had caught and he made breakfast for his friends. That's why we had breakfast this morning. Did you ever have one of those moments with a close friend when you both know there is something between you and you're wondering when you're going to talk about it? Did you ever have those awkward moments? You know your last interaction with someone was not pleasant. You know that you have wronged them or they have wronged you And Peter and Jesus are eating breakfast together and the other disciples are there. And you have to know this is running through Peter's mind like it would be running through your mind if you know you let someone down that you really loved. Neither Jesus nor Peter had forgotten about what had happened. There's this awesome story in John 21 of the breakfast on the beach. John 21, verse 15 says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John, so Simon was Peter's name before he became Peter. Simon son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again Jesus said, Simon son of John, Do you truly love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So it's important to catch what Jesus is doing here. Jesus, in this moment, is recreating the scene of Peter's failure. When Peter denied Jesus, he did it publicly. Excuse me. When Peter denied Jesus, he did it publicly, sitting around a fire, And here, after breakfast, seated around a fire, Jesus confronts Peter publicly. When Peter denied Jesus, he asked him three times, Are you with Jesus? Here, Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Peter, do you remember when you said you love me more than all these other guys? And three times, Peter has to answer the question and say out loud, I love you. But this time Peter didn't proclaim he loved Jesus more than anyone else. Now let me ask you this question. Jesus is recreating the scene of Peter's denial. Doesn't it seem like Jesus is just being mean? Like doesn't it seem like Jesus is putting the screws in? Doesn't it seem like Jesus is taking a knife and putting it on Peter's failure and like twisting it a little bit like, (laughs) Peter, remember that moment when you denied me three times? Let's talk about that again. Why is Jesus making Peter relive the darkest moment of his life? Why is Jesus putting Peter through this painstaking reenactment? Why? Because Jesus wants Peter to grasp the depth of his failure. Jesus isn't cutting Peter to hurt him. Jesus is like a surgeon going to the root of Peter's failure and helping Peter to understand the reality of his pride, his brokenness, and what was really in his heart. Jesus is being incredibly tough on Peter in this moment because Jesus wants to actually help Peter heal from his failure. Notice this. Jesus is actually not being mean. Every time Peter confesses his love for Jesus... Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. As Peter is facing his failure, (coughs) Jesus is driving his grace and affirmation deep into Peter's life. Peter, you failed me. Peter, you failed me, but I'm not finished with you yet. Peter, you failed me, but I'm going to change the world through you. Peter, you failed me, but now that you have been broken by failure, I can trust you to take care of others and lead others. Peter, you failed me, but for the rest of your life, you're not going to be known as Peter the failure. You're going to be known as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I've told you all that to tell you this this morning. Here's what I believe God wants every person in this room to know as we consider Peter's life. Failure, it is is an event, not an identity. Failure is an event, not an identity. Failure doesn't mean you have blown everything. It means you have some hard lessons to learn it doesn't mean you are a permanent loser it means you aren't as smart as you thought you were it doesn't mean that you should give up it means that you need jesus to meet you in your failure it doesn't mean that god has abandoned you it means that god still has a better plan for your life when you bring your failures to jesus or better yet when you let jesus confront you in your failures Your life will never be defined by how you failed, but rather by the grace, love, and affirmation of Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't start his letter with Peter, the man who failed Jesus, but rather Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If we are willing to admit our failures to Jesus, if we are willing to face the reality of who we are and the brokenness in our own hearts... Jesus is willing to transform our lives through our failures. I want you to know this morning that there have been several moments of my life when the pain of my personal failures have caused me to wonder if God still wants me and if God can still use me. And I'm guessing there's some people in this room this morning who are asking the question, can God still love me, and can God still use me, even though I know and he knows that I failed? And what I want you to see in Jesus is that when we fail, he doesn't run from us, He pursues us. Some of you have been running away from God for a very long time. Some of you have been keeping God at an arm's length for days, months, and years. But you need to know this morning that the kind of God that we serve runs after us when we fail, not away from us. The only person running is you. Jesus is pursuing. When I look at Peter's life, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I think about this epic failure in Peter's life, I don't know about you, but I don't know of any other way to illustrate the incredible grace of God for failures. Maybe you came this morning for the breakfast. But I want you to know whether you've been a Christian for 20 minutes or 20 years or you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. God does not define your life by how you have failed. He defines your life by his son, Jesus Christ. God calls you his son or daughter when you put your faith in Jesus. He accepts you at the point of your failure, and he brings healing, and he brings hope, and he gives you a new identity, loved, accepted, cherished, belonging to God. The church of Jesus Christ is made up of failures. There is no one in this room or any church across our nation or around the world this morning that has a single person who has not failed God. We are failures. I have, and you have, and every person at your table has failed. And we are still called his own. And we can still say, no, we're not apostles like Peter but you can still say your name and I am a child of God. When you bring your failure to Jesus, he changes your name from outcast to child, from rejected to loved, from failure to friend. Listen to how this scene between Jesus and Peter ends. So Jesus has some hard things to say to Peter after Jesus has restored him and affirmed that he still has a plan for Peter's life. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus says to Peter, follow me. What is that first part when Jesus is saying to Peter, when you get old, someone else is going to dress you? Here's what it means. Jesus was talking about how Peter was going to die. Because Peter followed Jesus, he ended up losing his life. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified just like Jesus was crucified. Although Peter was not crucified right side up, Peter, because he did not feel worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died, Peter asked to be crucified upside down. When Jesus asked Peter to follow him, Jesus asked for Peter's whole life. Jesus said to Peter after he failed is exactly what Jesus says to you after you fail follow me. Follow me. Jesus is still in the business of calling people who have failed to follow him. Your failure, no matter what it is, is not too big for God. Your divorce, your adultery, your arrest record, your addiction, anything, no matter what it is, your failure is not too big for God. For Peter, it was pride. And I'm guessing for a lot of us, it's pride. Maybe we don't have something where we're saying, yeah, I I'm really, I'm really don't know if I've ever failed big time. I want to tell you this morning, if you don't know if you've failed big time, you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church isn't made up of people who, some people have sinned big, and some people really haven't done that r- done anything that bad. The church of Jesus Christ is filled with people who realize that they have failed God, end of story. And the church of Jesus Christ is filled with people who know that they need him and that he is ready for them. Like Peter, Jesus is calling out to you today and asking you to follow him As you can tell from Jesus' words to Peter, following Jesus is not an invitation to luxury and autonomy. Peter, follow me, and by the way, you're going to die. I just want you to know this morning that I'm not a salesman. I'm not trying to make following Jesus sound better than it actually is. Some people think if I follow Jesus, God's going to give me everything I've ever wanted. That's not how it works. When you follow Jesus, you surrender to him. You are giving control of your life into the hands of another. Following Jesus means he's the leader and you're the follower. Following Jesus is not getting religion into your life. It's getting a new master. Following Jesus can mean that at times, it doesn't always mean this, but following Jesus at times can mean that life gets harder. But I also want you to know that following Jesus is the path to true greatness. Following Jesus is the path to true joy. Following Jesus is the path to true satisfaction. Following Jesus is the path to the life you were created for. Following Jesus is the key that will unlock the purpose of your life. I want you to know this morning that the best decision you can ever make is to follow Jesus. My heart for you this morning is not that you would get connected to this church. I would want that for you, but that's not my main heart. I want you to get connected to Christ. I think sometimes we get confused. We think, well, I attend church, so everything's good. But I want you to know that Jesus is saying to you personally, and he's saying to us as a people today, follow me, follow me. Sitting in church doesn't make you a follower. Being in church is a wonderful thing and we do this every Sunday. And I believe this is radically important for your walk with Jesus. Being part of church is part of following Jesus. But you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to surrender your will to Jesus. See, being a follower of Jesus means that he has the steering wheel. He leads. He drives. You follow. And I promise you this morning that when you give your life to Jesus, you will never regret it. Ever. There are so many people in this room who have given their lives to Christ. If you don't believe me, ask around. Jesus meets us in our failures and he loves us as we are, but he does not let us stay the same. He leads us into joy, into wholeness, into peace, and into his purposes. And sometimes his purposes conflict with our purposes. But here's what I found in my life. Living for him is far better than living for me. And I promise you, living for Jesus is far better than living for yourself. I would ask you just for a moment, just to bow your head, just right in your seat. And I wanna just ask you to pray with me this morning. I wanna know this morning if there's anyone in this room who would like to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been in this room a lot before and you're not even sure if you're really following. I want you to know this morning that Jesus knows how you failed and he still loves you. Jesus knows how you failed in every way and he's still pursuing you this morning. If you'd like to say yes to Jesus this morning, I'm gonna ask you to pray this simple prayer with me, and I want you to pray it from your heart. I want you to talk to God. He's ready to listen. He knew you would be here today, and he's waiting for you to give your life to him. He's not going to take it from you. You have to lay it down. You have to admit your need. So I want to invite you to do that today. Pray with me. Jesus, you know how I failed, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I need you to come and make me new. Lord, I need you to take over my life. I surrender to you. I believe that you are the Son of God. And I give you my life this morning. And I ask you to forgive me for all my failures all my sin, I wanna follow you. Thank you so much that you accept people like me. You're such a kind and good